what I did find funny was that there was two plays, two of the very inventive plays on this that were run, uh, not to come back to it, but they were run in the first season of Friday Night Lights. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. The dynasty is dead, the Patriots have been slain, but who will take that place? The Jets. Say, so, we got Connor here and we got Ronan. Hello. Unfortunately, due to Christmas uh, catastrophes, conundrums, and, and, and complications, we don't have Sean this week as he is in partial babysitting, partial trying to keep the house from going on fire, stuff up at home. So uh, we wish him all the best in those endeavours. Uh, how's tricks down in Cork with yourself, Fitz? Well, uh, I managed to uh, get back to Cavan uh, in time, so I'm enjoying the Cavan Internet, which is actually uh, it's about, well, roughly equal to the Cork Internet I have, so uh, that's lucky for me. Uh, I'm not sure if you're, you're so lucky uh, where you are at the moment. Yes, well, how Dublin is, is I'm in Cork, and, or sorry, I'm in Kerry, and the Internet is, to be honest, better than my Donegal Internet is, so that's... <laughs> That's an improvement, but also still, you know, it's the kind of I'm um, keeping a close eye on it just to make sure that we don't lose this recording as we're as we're going through it. So, uh, so it's good. But less, yeah, down, less lurgy down, down in Kerry either. Yeah, slightly less uh, COVID fears down this end. Um, but yeah, just down getting settled in for the holidays. We managed to get a lift down instead of our, instead of having to take public transport, which with the uh, recent spike in numbers, probably quite a nice thing. I think. Yeah, and then Cavan, it's, it's just keeping quiet. Been going through a few media, like the they have uh, Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and Netflix here from the various large family advantages, I suppose, with the sharing. Oh, very good. Yeah, uh, I was watching Hamilton last night. It was pretty good. Oh, it's very good. Yeah, I watched it a while back. It's uh, it's it's very entertaining. Uh, what I've started doing uh, of late is I started a rewatch of Friday Night Lights, and it is excellent. I've forgotten just how good that is until uh, the. Uh, uh, the, the weird, the weird, the weird back half of the second season where like the writer strike lands in, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also, I also, because uh, I was downloading it uh, completely legally. Don't come after me, guards. And uh, I was taking too long, so I also downloaded the movie and watched the movie before I watched the series again. It was like oh, I forgot how good Billy Bob Thornton's speech in that is. It is really, really good. Yeah. But yeah, I suppose you should get into the actual football rather than the uh, the fake Dylan football that I've been focusing on for the last few days. Um, it's playoff permutations time. It's time to see where we stand going into the last two weeks of the regular season. So what do we know so far? I'll kick off with the AFC stuff. We'll talk through that. Then you can kind of kick off the NFC stuff and we'll talk through that. All right. So we'll say, uh, what do we know about the AFC? We know that Kansas City have won the AFC West. We know the Buffalo have won the AFC East. We know the Pittsburgh are in the playoffs, but where exactly they sit, we don't know. And there's also a couple of people who are already eliminated. As I mentioned in the intro there, uh, the Patriots have been eliminated after 11 straight uh, AFC East championships. Uh, so what is up for grabs? Kansas City can get the first overall pick. Uh, I think with a win or with basically the only way that they don't get the number one pick is like lose out and a couple of weird results with Pittsburgh and Buffalo giving Buffalo, I think, the number one overall or something like that. But basically we're expecting 99% of the time KC are going to have the number one seed and the bye week. Uh, the AFC South, we have Tennessee at 10-4 and four, and they have Green Bay and Houston left to play. They have the tiebreakers over Indianapolis who are 10-4 and four, and they have Pittsburgh and Jacksonville. So basically Indianapolis need to finish out 
with one more win than Tennessee, I believe. Um, and Indianapolis do have the easier of the two schedules on that as well. So we'll see. Like I would take at Pittsburgh and at home to Jacksonville over at Green Bay and at Houston. Uh, even though I do think Tennessee are probably the better team. Like, I think Tennessee deserve it, but I get I get an awkward feeling that Indianapolis might actually take it. Yeah, like Indianapolis, we, we've kind of said this all year. They're very solid. They're obviously getting Pittsburgh at what feels like the right time in Week 16, given how they're doing, and Jacksonville should be a, a cupcake. So, yeah, I wouldn't count out Indianapolis right now. But, look, Tennessee, we know if Derrick Henry gets going, that they're very, very hard to beat. So I think if Tennessee win this, they'll have earned it. And I think we're... They'll probably make the playoffs anyways. We'll talk about it in a moment. Yeah, I think so. Uh, AFC North, Pittsburgh are sitting there at 11-3. and three. They've got Indianapolis and at Cleveland to come up. Uh, they secure the AFC North if they win over Cleveland, uh, who are currently at 10-4, and four, so they're a game back. But they have the Jets and Pittsburgh. If, if the Pittsburgh lose in Week 16, uh, so if they lose to Indianapolis, it sets up for what Sean's like fever dream of a few weeks ago was, which is a Week 17 matchup between Pittsburgh and... Cleveland that would decide who wins the division which to be yeah. honest I would kind of love to see and that would almost certainly be the primetime game if that comes to pass like that would be uh, an epic primetime game Cleveland trying to take the AFC North in for God knows who long and doing it against obviously the the cream of the crop in that division for so long who've been bullying them so yeah I think Cleveland are one of those teams that people want to root for so yeah if that's if that's what happens if Indianapolis can get the job done and Cleveland don't poop the bet against the Jets it could be a very exciting week 17 matchup yeah and not to not not, not to uh, not to give away our, our future secrets but I think we've got a feeling that I think we both might be picking a situation where that's happening in our predicted games um, so sense. the wild cards then this year obviously it's changed there's seven teams making the playoffs so we have three wild cards from the AFC so as we said that AFC North team will almost certainly, given what's left on their schedule, will have one of those. So Pittsburgh or Cleveland will take one of them. Uh, AFC South runner-up, as we said, they're both 10-4, and four, Tennessee and Indianapolis. So one of them will take them. So then the question is, we have Miami at 9-5, and five, Baltimore at 9-5, and five, and then to a lesser extent, Vegas at 7-7, seven and seven, but that's only like a technicality. Um, so basically, it's kind of Miami and Baltimore in the hunt for the last slot on those wild cards, because I'm just presuming that we're getting an AFC North and AFC South one out of this. Yeah, uh, I think given that Tennessee have Houston and, and Indianapolis have Jacksonville in Week 17, I, I, you know, I don't really see a situation where Baltimore could, and Miami could fall over them both. Yeah. Uh, so Cle- Cle- Cleveland have the head-to-head over Indianapolis and Tennessee. Baltimore have the head-to-head over Cleveland. Uh, Miami hold the conference record tiebreaker over Baltimore. So I think that means if they end up tied, that Miami get to get to... Uh, take the spot as they've got a six and four division. Although that means that they do have a conference game to play yet, so we'll see how that goes. Um, so yeah, so look, our AFC picture is fairly clear. I think we know probably six of the seven teams, and the only question really is, will it be Baltimore or will it be Miami in that final spot? Yeah, like and, I, and it's obviously Baltimore are the team in form at the moment, and Miami have been. You know, a little bit up and down. They didn't really have a great Week 15 game, let's be honest. Uh, but they, they get the Vegas at the, this, this week. So obviously Vegas are fighting to keep their season alive. But they then get a game against the Bills in Week 17. Um, but the Bills very likely will have nothing to play for. So the Dolphins may be playing the backup. So 
I would, given where Vegas are and given the Bills backups, I would probably still give the uh, favorite to Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Baltimore right now are in, are in such a good run of form that I, I, you know, I definitely wouldn't discount them. And you know, Miami have just been so mistake prone over the last um, month. Uh, you know, just having so many scrappy games that yeah, the Ravens they're certainly in with a shot. And you know, if if the AFC South runner up falters this week either Indianapolis um, with Pittsburgh or Tennessee with Green Bay, then I think the situation will probably get even a little bit more complicated after that. But uh, yeah, I think for now, the Ravens, despite the form that they're in, may end up being on the outside looking in based on what we're seeing right now. Yeah, so look, that's that's the AFC in a in a, in a quick whistle stop. Um, the only things to look at then, like we said, are the final wild card spot, the seeding, who's taking the division in the AFC South and the AFC North, and that could, as we say, build to an incredible Week Seventeen Pittsburgh at Cleveland game. Um, so on to the NFC, Ronan, give us a quick whistle stop tour of what's happening here. Yeah. So what do we know in the NFC so far? Surprisingly, not that much. We know that Green Bay are going to win the NFC. North. And the only other thing that we know is that New Orleans and the Seahawks will be in the playoffs, though we're not sure at what seeding, um, i.e. we don't know if they're going to win their divisions or not. Um, so what's up for grabs? Well, at the number one seed, Green Bay are in pole position as they're at 11-3, and three, and their two closest competitors, the New Orleans Saints and the Seahawks, are both a game behind them. Um, so if they win out, obviously they get the number one seed. And since they have head-to-head over New Orleans, they also have a lot of advantages in any tiebreaker scenarios. Yeah. Um, the New Orleans Saints um, and the basic understanding of this is that if if Green Bay win against Chicago in week 17 they will basically win nearly all of the tiebreakers whereas if they win against Tennessee but lose against Chicago things get a bit more complicated and there is some scenarios where New Orleans might get it um, I think Seattle would need some ridiculous stuff to happen to have any chance but mm. yes unless there's a three-way 12 and four tie between Green Bay, New Orleans, and Seahawks, it's going to be Green Bay at number one. That, that, that's pretty Yeah, terrible. okay. Um, NFC East is, uh, as you would expect, a bit of a fucking mess. But the, the simplest scenario is if Washington win out against Carolina and, and at Philly uh, in Week 17, uh, they're 6-8, and eight, they'll win the division. Um, but then you have the Giants and Dallas, who both are 5-9. and nine. The Giants have at Baltimore this week. That's a tough matchup. But if they can match the Washington record and not be involved in a three-way tie, um, which, which is basically inevitable because they'd have to beat Dallas in that situation, I believe. Um, uh, well, there is another scenario where they lose to Dallas and Dallas win this week. But like, look, <laughs> it's really complicated. But basically, they have a head-to-head over Washington. So if it's a one-to-one against Washington, they will win the division. Whereas if Dallas are in a one-to-one against Washington, they have Philly in week, uh, week 16. Uh, as I said, the Giants in Week 17, then they would lose because Washington have the head-to-head. They basically need Washington um, to lose out um, to have a decent shot. And for Philly, it's much simpler. Um, they need to win out because they have two NFC East games again at Dallas and and uh, Washington at home. And then they need Washington and the Giants um, to lose in Week 16, <laughs> Carolina and Baltimore respectively. So it's pretty much, uh, you know... Like, uh, Philly are essentially dead. Yeah, but uh, you know, with the with given that it's the NFC East, I would never say that they're fully dead. What is dead it may never die. True. And of course, if they if Washington and the Giants lose, and then it comes out to this, it'll be a pretty a pretty ridiculous uh, week uh, week seventeen in the NFC East, uh, as we'd expect. Um, so that's all very NFC East, basically. Uh, things are simpler when we get beyond that. Seattle, um, they're playing the Rams this week. If they beat the Rams, that they are in. 
Um, but if the Rams win, they'll have the head-to-head. So unless they lose in Week 17 against Car- against the Arizona Cardinals, um, then they will win. So this is basically a winner-takes-all type fight um, in Week 17 between the Rams and the Seahawks, um, accepting some kind of ridiculous scenario um, uh, involving um, the Rams losing to Arizona, which I suppose is possible um, in Week 17. Um, so if you want excitement, then uh, root for the Rams, I suppose. And then in the AFC side, the New Orleans uh, can get the uh, division. They have Minnesota and Carolina left. If they just win one more game, Tampa Bay would need to win out and New Orleans would need to lose out as New Orleans have the divisional record tiebreaker over Tampa Bay after they split the series. Um, so that's pretty simple. I expect New Orleans to be in the NFC South uh, division lead and probably the number two seed. Um, okay, so then we get down into the wild card. So the NFC runner-up, which uh, right now is most likely going to be um, the Rams, who are at 9-5. and five. Um, They're probably going to get in, even if they lose to Seattle, though it gets a little bit more complicated then. And then Tampa Bay are at 9-5. and five. They're probably safe. I think they, they, just, they just need one more win um, to secure the division, and they have some pretty uh, beatable teams coming up. Um, so I think the real fight here is probably between Arizona and the Bears, uh, Minnesota are technically still alive, but we can pretty much ignore them. And Arizona, it's pretty simple. If they can have a better record than Chicago um, in the final two weeks, then they will get the final wildcard spot. Um, Chicago do have the tiebreakers over Arizona. So if they have a matching record, then I believe Chicago will have the advantage. Things get more complicated if the Rams, Cardinals and Chicago get involved. But uh, I think the Rams are safe in that scenario because they have a head-to-head over Chicago. Um, and I think they would uh, split the series with Arizona. So, look, I think it's relatively likely Arizona will make it there. But if the Rams lose this week and then Arizona and the Rams are playing a big game in week 17, then the Bears have a scenario where they can sneak their way into the playoffs uh, in a quite a weird fashion, considering it'll yeah. be like, you know, win <laughs> five, lose six, win a couple more games. Uh, Mitch Tiddies could be the savior there. But to be fair, Chicago, they have Jacksonville this week, so you know they'll be keeping a close eye on what happens. Um, and that leaves the only thing left over is the number one seed with a huge change in week 15 as the Jets beat the Rams. And now Jacksonville are in the driving seat in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes as they have a strength of schedule tiebreaker that's basically impossible to lose. Um, so unless Jacksonville win a game, they're getting the number one pick. Yeah, um, it'll, be, it'll be tough going. You imagine the Jets... Winning one game and not getting the number one pick. I think was it Dan Hansis of the around the NFL podcast was saying that uh, he went back and looked and there's only been one year where a one-win team didn't get the the first overall pick when it wasn't an expansion year and obviously an expansion year the, the expansion franchise gets the first pick. Uh, so it would be it would be very Jets to win one game and not get the first overall pick. It would uh, be. We will we'll briefly yeah. talk about that game later on. But yeah, just the Jets uh, in a shocker deciding to... Adam Gase tanking the tank. It's uh, it's impressive. It's impressive. Uh, COVID-19 news, I suppose. Uh, positive cases in Vegas, Tampa Bay, New York, Giants, Denver, Houston, Detroit, and San Francisco. No impact on the schedule. The NFL have said they won't have local bubbles during the playoff unless people voluntarily want to do it. Um, yeah. Like it was fine in general news for COVID this week, nothing too yeah. crazy. But there was images of quarterback Dwayne Haskins partying in a strip club, maskless after the Seattle at Washington game. Uh, he's apologized, um, but yeah, like it's a little bit ridiculous at this point. Just, like cop yourself on. 
Yeah. And Dwayne Haskins is someone whose you know, NFL career is in jeopardy, so he can't really afford to be doing this kind of crap. Like Deshaun Watson got in trouble with the uh, Texans by inviting a bunch of them around to open up his new restaurant in a on socially distancing and a few fines are thrown out by the team there. Uh, but Deshaun Watson can basically do whatever the fuck he wants because he's Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Dwayne Haskins, you're not Deshaun Watson. I would probably advise being a bit smarter. But then again, if you were a bit smarter, you probably wouldn't be in the scenario you are right now in terms of nearly being out of the league. Yeah, and Carolina fired their GM, Marty Hardy. Uh, owner David Tepper says he wants a restart with Hardy being there from the previous uh, ownership. Obviously, they moved in Matt Rule during the offseason. They started a rebuild. They released some players and stuff like that. They're expecting Rule to be involved in this. This makes sense to me. I didn't think anyone thought Marty Hardy was long for that job. They brought in Rule. They gave him a long-term contract. They want to build something there. Like It just makes sense that you kind of marry your GM to your to your coach, particularly in this kind of restart, you know? Yeah, and it's it's all, always been obvious since Matt Rule's come in that he's had a lot more influence over that roster. Like he's more like a Pete Carroll um, or Andy Reid level of control over the roster in terms of over the direction of the team. And I think it makes sense for him to pick someone that he has experience with previously. So if for all intents and purposes, this will be a Matt Rule run team going forward. And given the relative success for the Carolina team, given the kind of... Uh, yeah. kind of rebuild that they've been doing this year um i can understand why but we have seen you know cautionary tales with people like chip kelly and where this can go wrong um but given where carolina are given the you know Hurney being a holdover it's no surprise that the uh, owner decided to to make this change and to move them to the next level of their rebuild in 2021 no, of course. Uh, let's look at injuries from during the week. Uh, mostly just contenders and one non-contender. Uh, New Orleans have taken a couple of knocks. Wide receiver Michael Thomas has injured his ankle. He's out for the regular season. They placed him on IR with the specific intention to get him healthy for the playoffs. But uh, yeah, we'll see. That was uh, it's worrying because they also have uh, wide receiver Traquan Smith injured his ankle and he's now out week to week. They're quite quite thin at wide receiver at the moment and their safety Marcus Williams injured his ankle and he's also week to week so a couple of shots for New Orleans uh, Kansas City's running back Clyde Edwards Hilaire has a hip and ankle injury so he is gone uh, he's gone for the regular season they say he might be back for the playoffs but from what I hear it's a high ankle sprain so those things can vary wildly um, to be honest I'm kind of happy that that's the injury because watching that thing live I was certain that he had just torn his groin into like eight parts it looked horrible uh, yeah, an involuntary splits type of situation. Yeah, not great. Uh, Rams running back Cam Akers has done his ankle and he's out for one to four weeks. And New England cornerback Stefan Gilmore, I think previous Defensive Player of the Year, has injured his leg in an on-contact injury and he's gone for the season. So these are a couple of big hits to some proper contenders. Cam Akers has been playing well for the Rams of late, uh, although they do have good rotational depth. They're the Chiefs. They have Bell in there and now that signing looks more... <laughs> more good than it did beforehand with the injury to <laughs> CEH. Uh, New Orleans, look, I think they kind of know that they're at a stretch to try and get that number one seed and they're better off to have people healthy. But like Thomas on IR or whatever with the Smith injury, like it's they really are just running on very little on the outside. And that offense is starting to look a little bit anemic. Yeah, uh, but I think we saw, as we'll talk about in the reviews, that you know Drew Brees, when he gets going, can, can kind of kind of elevate his talent. I'm sure they'll try to get Alvin Kamara more involved in the pass game, um, something obviously which they didn't do when Taysom Hill was in there. 
And, you know, I think they've made, like, you know, pretty low-level wide receivers look okay this season already because Thomas has obviously missed most of the season. Sanders has had injuries. Um, and obviously, Traquan Smith's had a couple of knocks. So people like Callaway, even though I think he's currently hurt, but, like, people like that have done okay. Um, so I think given their last two games against Minnesota and Carolina, I would struggle to see them not to pick up at least one win there. Mm-hmm. They, if they win both of them, they're probably still not getting the number one seed. So uh, I don't think that that's going to be too much of an issue. Like Edwards Alaire, yeah, as you said, it looked ugly, but uh, yeah, they can probably, you know, punch out the rest of the season, get the number one seed and hopefully have him back at some point during the playoffs. Obviously, they won't need him during the wildcard weekend in that scenario. And Cam Akers is probably the biggest loss for a team that has a lot to play for still. He had kind of over the last, you know, two or three weeks shown that he was the best, most talented running back in that rotation. But now they're going to have to lean back on Daryl Henderson, who has a knock himself and Malcolm Brown, who's just solid. Um, so I think for them, they were, I think people were getting excited, though a lot of those people were probably fantasy players, um, about Cam Akers' potential to take over that backfield, be a, let's say, not Todd Gurley-esque, but kind of get back to that, kind of, there's a clear number one, but that's not there. And look, Stefan Gilmore, New England, are eliminated from the playoffs, as we mentioned, but um, there are persistent reports this year and rumours that, you know, he may be gone from that team, and apparently this injury is not so serious that it would affect his um, off-season, um, so he'll be back in time for, for training camps and stuff like that, so... That, that's important in terms of just the kind of market that they might have in terms of trade value or in terms of him trying to force his way out. And we'll see if any of that comes to fruition. No, of course. Um, other injury, Vegas quarterback Derek Carr's growing injury seems to persist in May this week 16 because of this. We'll discuss this coming into the games, but uh, his backup did a surprisingly decent job and uh, maybe might start some questions there. Look, they're a dead team at this point, even though they're technically not eliminated yet. Uh, they had it in their control, and now they've let it slip with a couple of bad losses. But, uh, yeah, look, it, given the play level they got out of their quarterback uh, last week, like it's not a huge loss to them, to be honest. Yeah, like I wouldn't say Derek Carr's been bad this year. He's had probably one of his better years in, in yeah. times. And I think like Marcus Mariota... Look, I think we saw some things that would make you kind of go, okay, maybe there's something there. But I think I've seen enough of Marcus Mario to think that when the when the lights are on and when he can't rely on his legs and teams key in on that, um, he would probably continue to struggle as he did uh, towards the end of the time. But maybe he could have a uh, Tannehill-type reclamation in Vegas. But yeah, I think Gary Carr says he's doing everything he can to play. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it'll make much of a difference in terms of their playoff hopes, given the scenarios they need to go that way. No, of course. Uh, San Francisco have signed quarterback Josh Rosen from the Tampa Bay practice squad. Uh, look, I don't know if he'll see much time. Uh, as I said, we've well, discussed, <laughs> we discussed a couple of times about like Nick Mullins just being like... Yeah, but I, he's, he's picked up a knock, so now they have to rely... I think CJ Beathard is the only healthy, fully healthy quarterback on their roster and their practice squad quarterback Josh Johnson got the COVID. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. Okay. So it's uh, all going Pete Tong for them. Yeah. Uh, and Jimmy G is, I think, in, in the activation window for IOR, but obviously San Francisco have nothing to play for this season. Yeah. But maybe if they're looking to trade it, maybe they want to put him in the shop window for one last time. Uh, but yeah, so they signed Josh Rosen as basically, uh, you know, insurance. And obviously given his the draft pedigree, people kind of talk about that. And look, if Josh Rosen can hang out in that roster, even for the offseason, San Francisco under Shanahan, maybe that's the kind of environment that would be useful for him um, to kind of have some hope of getting his career back on track. No, of course. Uh, Controversy Corner, Washington Post has published a story saying that uh, 1.6 million of a settlement was paid by the Washington football team in relation to sexual misconduct claims against their owner, Dan Schneider. 
Uh, God, I'm just these stories are just never surprised by them. Now these are just a like a garbage ownership crew. Yeah, and obviously this implicates directly something that Dan said or did apparently on the team plane. Um, but given various NDAs and such, there is no additional detail beyond that it happened on a plane and it involved Dan Snyder personally. Um, okay. Six million settlement is not a great look or, or sign that this was something um, trivial, uh, for lack of a better term. But like we know it's Dan Snyder's a scumbag. We, we saw all of the cultural problems that he had in that team in terms of either being directly implicated or basically happy to tolerate um, you know, high up members of that team and that organization engaging in very questionable acts, such as, you know, using the outtakes of cheerleader photo shoots uh, for the good bits involving uh, yeah. nudity. That's just, it's just, you know, Dan Snyder's a toxic personality. And apparently he is also uh, in recent weeks been trying to buy out his minority owners um, who have stakes in the team to try and get more control. Um, so that does not indicate to me that Dan Snyder has been humbled by any of his no. co- And uh, I would just like to personally say, fuck you, Dan Snyder, and I hope you're fucking fired out of that team as quick as can be, even if, you know, as owner, you can't be fired. Um, yeah. Even if you get a bunch of money out of it, I'm, I'm okay with that just to get you out of the fucking league, man. 100%. Uh, crime punishment, what are they doing? Probably felonies. Wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks, Josh Gordon's reinstatement has been retracted as he's apparently suffered a substance abuse setback. Uh, he's back to being suspended indefinitely. And <laughs> you kind of got to imagine this is the end of the road at this point. Like, well, he sat, he sat for the year on the roster awaiting reinstatement, got reinstatement, was ready to go, and now has gone back again. Like, you can't. You know, we've said that before, and somehow it keeps happening. Like, look, but he's now thirty, isn't he? Yeah, but like the way it happened, like obviously, like the Seattle cut a guy to put him back on the roster, and now he's off the roster again, and you're just kind of going, "What the hell is going on with this?" And like, we don't know if this is just like we know the marijuana situation is a lot more complicated in the NFL right now. Uh, but obviously, he has conditions on his on his rehabilitation. But he did have involvement with other um, other in substances. I. I other illegal substances that can be, you know, that are for by prescription and stuff like that. Um, so we don't know any more detail around this right now. But look, it's just, it's really sad. This is a player who obviously is very talented, seems like an okay guy, but just seems to have these issues that are, are going to end, uh, again, a career that, uh, you know, could have been so much more. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, just in other news, uh, the Pro Bowl rosters were announced. We'll be doing a deep dive on this, obviously, uh, in the coming yeah. weeks. But, well, uh, given, given that they've cancelled the Pro Bowl horrifically, we're obviously going to have to game plan out and show exactly what would have happened in the game, given the rosters involved in the Super Bowl preview show or the Pro Bowl, um, you know, hypothetical show. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to be an important non-game, but uh, I think some of these players will probably end up being involved in the Madden tournament that they're using to replace it. But uh, yeah, no Pro Bowl, but uh, you know, the Pro Bowl rosters will have to use our own mind palaces to try and construct what could have been the greatest game in the world. And I'm sure that will be our greatest episode as well. Uh, she's <laughs> got seven players in the Pro Bowl. I'm happy with that. I'm not sure I agree with all the players got there, but you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I, I think it's fair enough. It's fine. Um, but yeah, so we'll go on, we'll have a look at the games from last week. Okay, so first up, the Jets at the LA Rams, 23-20. to The Jets won, 
they put together a complete game. Sam Darnold threw for over 200 yards and a touchdown. Their defense had three sacks, only allowed 300 yards, had an interception, and they got a punt block on special teams. Uh, yeah, this was a remarkable performance from a team that, realistically, at this point, you felt like were better to just lose out. Um, but nope, they can't. <laughs> they don't even want to do that right. Uh, Goff had 200 yards, two touchdowns and interceptions, but like just wasn't looking great, particularly in the first half. Uh, their defense also didn't do much in this game. They got two sacks later on, but like they didn't shut down the Jets at all. This was a constant game we kept coming back to, like because initially the Jets were hammering them, and then they started to come back in the second half. But like it was, it's confusing. This is a Rams team that have beaten some very good teams that are generally very consistent if boring and then they just put up an absolute stinker like this at home yeah and it, it's a situation where yeah like the, the, the Jets deserved to win this game they dominated the first half um, the, the Rams didn't have uh, any points until the final kick of the half with a, with a Mackie and like they had a and they had like a little bit of a comeback uh, in, in the second half but even then you know like the Jets opened the second half with a touchdown it's a fair play to them after being a 13-3 at the half. And yeah, then they just kind of slowed down, kind of put the jet, like the Rams into a morass. Like Obviously, the Rams slowly but surely brought themselves back into the game. And I thought a bit like the San Francisco game that the Rams defense and, you know, some more like something from their offense would be enough to kind of turn this game around, turn the screws. But to be fair, the Jets, like they did the one thing that they um, that they needed to do, which was not make mistakes. Even in that first half, they probably could have had more points. And they did go for a touchdown on fourth down with one of them, albeit literally on the half-yard line. Um, but overall, they just kind of took their points. They kept the, the score ticking over, and they, they ended up having a solid game. Like, this isn't the game where, like, the Jets were like, oh, my God, amazing, where was this all year? They were a bit like they have been all this year, but just cutting out the mistakes. And a bit like how the Giants, when Danny Dimes hasn't thrown the ball or fumbled the ball 15 times, that actually probably would be enough for them to win a few more games this season. Um, and we saw from Darnold a solid game. He, he found his receivers, um, and obviously he didn't make those huge mistakes, helped by the fact that obviously being in the lead, they don't have to go to these desperation plays. He spread the ball around. The run game was solid, if non-spectacular. Like, Franco was still under three yards of carry, but you know he got a touchdown, so that's nice. And I think the, the big thing that was helped here is that the fact that the, the Rams... Yeah, I've had these games this year where they just poop the bed. They just go, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And, of course, all that starts usually with Jared Goff, who had a pick in this game, um, which was you know, pretty Jared Goff-like. They Obviously, their special teams had a screw-up. And in this game, the defense, because the Jets were playing pretty conservative ball, they weren't doing dumb things, um, weren't able to have a massive influence on the game. They weren't able to bail them out with a couple of touchdowns um, like they had in that San Francisco game. So, look, the Jets if they play like this, would have been a solid team this year. Um, but, uh, you know, against the Rams team that just kept shooting themselves at the foot, it, it happened to be enough. And, yeah, it means that they'll lose the number one overall pick most likely. But, you know, I think I'm just, I'm not, I don't agree with all these people saying, oh, you lost Trevor Lawrence, blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm like, for a team that wants to have a modicum of pride in itself to have gone 0-16, that, that creates a funk around that team. That does create an issue there. Um, where, where I think that that does have a stink there. And, you know, I think even if you end up with Justin Fields or some other guy, I think you know the, the major decision that will make you win or not isn't getting Trevor Lawrence most likely. It will be getting a better staff, uh, better GM. Oh, not was, better GM. The GM's pretty good. 
uh, but just being a solid team and not being a complete embarrassment. Yeah, Charles, that's what I was going to say. Is like the biggest advantage you can get in this offseason is getting rid of Gates, and that doesn't have anything to do with their draft position. Although I suppose the first overall is a more attractive pick for the uh, for the uh, potential new head coaches coming in, knowing that they can kind of get to hit the ground running that quickly. Uh, next up, Kansas City at New Orleans, 32-29. to Kansas City hold off New Orleans with a surprisingly run-first kind of attack, 179 in the ground, 4.4 per carry. Uh, they got an early 14 to nothing lead because Breeze basically started off his worst game ever. He was, I think he was 0 for 7 before he completed a pass. Um, but yeah, it was it was not great initially from them, but then Breeze started to warm up in the second half. He went for over 200 and had three touchdowns. Um yeah, like the New Orleans defense played a really, really good game here. Uh, they were able to get pressure on Mahomes in a way that they don't normally see. They hit him a few times pretty hard. Uh, but it was interesting because, like you said, the Casey team swapped to being a more run-first approach to kind of make them force bite on that. They were able to get players open when they wanted, and they just kind of swapped to, rather than the normally very vertical passing game they use, they went to much more of a horizontal rub right involving multiple receivers instead. Um, this game got very close towards the back end, uh, I, I would say more so than a lot of the other games that Kansas City have had. And I would be, I'd be worried if Breeze had been firing on all cylinders from the start what it would have looked like. But I do, I again, I still had that feeling of like, maybe they were holding back a bit. Like there were spots where you felt like Casey could be doing some things more inventively here, but they're just going to sit on a lead and they don't mind if it's a win by three points kind of scenario. Um, but I don't know. Like I would have thought like this is the game where you would pull out a few more of the stops just in case, because this is the type of offense that could surprise you, particularly how they were playing in the second half. Um, like I think you said during the game fits, like Kansas city were pulling out a couple more like interesting gadgety unusual plays they had like a like a, a rush option rugby style <laughs> touchdown and stuff <laughs> like that that like it's a mark of respect that they were pulling those bits out against your uh what i did find funny was that there was two plays two of the very inventive plays on this that were run uh not to come back to it but they were run in the first season of friday night lights <laughs> i like yeah like look like kansas city like i think they let this be closer than it should have been i think this is a case where you know, in the first half, they got that 14-0 lead, and like you criticize all year, maybe, like, because they kind of kept the Saints mostly at at least some arm's length for the rest of the game, they never quite had to break it out. I think they also realized that they didn't want to give anything free to that New Orleans Saints, because they were playing, you know, basically, you know, cover four, cover three, kind of, like, deep. They were protecting the deep ball all long. They didn't want to give up those big plays to Tyreek Hill or Sammy Watkins or Robinson or Harp, any of those guys, and you know, even Travis Kelsey, he had a touchdown in 68 yards on eight throws, but that's the, he wasn't getting those long seam yard type rights. Mm -hmm. You say they kind of, they, they narrowed their field and they played more conservatively. I think that's important because I think that's, you know, as scary as it sounds, that is the evolution of Kansas City this year above their Super Bowl winning team last year, which is that they're more pragmatic when they have to be because New Orleans was selling out to stop the pass, uh, the deep pass in particular, which meant that they were vulnerable to the run. Like they had 4.4 per carry. The run game was getting it done, even if the, you know, 
you know, yards per play is below where Kansas City fans have got used to <laughs> over <laughs> a couple of years. Um, but, you know, I think that's the sign of a good team that can evolve. And despite the fact that they did that, there were still that handful of Mahomes plays where he was sidearming it and like doing basketball type throws. And as you say, doing the kind of run uh, option, like rugby type stuff. So Mahomes wasn't, you know, silenced here. He still had 255 yards and three touchdowns. Um, but they didn't build their offense around putting him in more danger because when he was put into obvious passing situations, they were getting home. There was four sacks for the Saints team. They were getting pressure on him. They were forcing him to make those spectacular throws. And so I think for Kansas City, if this had gone another way, if New Orleans had gone up like a touchdown, I would have expected they might have blasted out some of the more explosive plays. But I think they realized, you know, the, the best way to win this game was to make sure New Orleans didn't get anything for free and, and in the end, that ended up being the correct way to go. Because even though this finished um, the way it did with a very close scoreline, I think that did rely on the New Orleans getting a late play that, that basically when the game was already out of hand. Yeah, and there were things that went a bit odd in it, like um, an injury, or well, I say an injury, a dirty-looking tackle to our primary receiver meant that our backup uh, kickoff returner was in there, which then resulted in a safety uh, on a kickoff oh, yes. return <laughs> that was nearly a uh, that was nearly a, a, a touchdown due to a, a muffed uh, a muffed recovery. Oh yeah, well that that like, I was talking about the offense in terms of not making mistakes, but yeah. <laughs> oh no no no, but I just mean the more like there were there were odd things in it that actually even helped to drive that of like, you know, uh, two points of that came from there, possibly more could have and stuff. So it was, there was bits to improve on, but yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting watch. Uh, some more AFC West adventures. The Chargers took on the Las Vegas Raiders with the Va- Raiders got a chance to try and really lock into a, a good wildcard spot and they shit the bed 30 to 27 in overtime. Justin Herbert, 328 yards and three touchdowns sneaks in to get the overtime win. Uh, after they both missed chances at the end. Like, this was... I remember you messaging about it, just being like, guys, like, are you watching the the way that this is ending? Like, two missed field goals and an interception. <laughs> it was just... It was just literally just... No one wanted to win the fucking game. Like, uh, Carr left super early with the groin injury that we mentioned. Mariota stepped in and played well. 300 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Waller, again, having a superstar day. He is playing out of his mind. 150 yards and a touchdown. Jacobs looked better as well, over 100 in the touchdown on the ground, which would help them. Uh, realistically, if you look at this and you kind of went, okay, our starting quarterback goes off, but our backup comes in, throws for over 300 yards and two touchdowns. We get over 100 yards out of our lead back and a touchdown, like 150 with our tight end. You would just imagine that that's the game that you actually win. You're like, like you, yeah. you, you, would look at, you would look at just the box score for the Raiders and be like, okay, they should win this game, particularly given how the Chargers have been playing. But the Chargers managed to eke out this win. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and like, like you know, in a close game, you would expect to beat the Chargers because they're the Chargers and they fuck up and they give two massive fuck-ups in this game. They make two field goals late on in regular time. And then even on, on, the, on the QB sneak, before the QB sneak that actually worked, uh, Herbert fumbled the ball into the end zone. The Vegas Raiders could have had a you know, won the game on that after scoring a, a field goal with their first uh, try in, uh, in, in overtime. Uh, a try which they got into the red zone. They kind of just trammeled their way down the field with the solid play that they've been showing. And Mariota had had a few couple of nice runs. And then they shit the bed in the red zone. They, they had this like weird throw to the fullback in the flat that I didn't know what the hell they were doing on, on, on third down. And the whole thing, they were running Jacobs... Uh, at that point, even though he was obviously hobbled and hurt, yeah. 
a point. And it's just, look, I expect it from the Chargers. The Chargers are fuck-ups. But the Vegas Raiders, when they were looking good early in the season, were winning games because they didn't make these type of fuck-ups. But in the last month or so, they've just become the Chargers-esque in their shittiness. And look, yeah, Mariota playing well probably makes their life harder because now it invokes a, a semi-QB controversy in the offseason. The more questions and answers there for a team that really, given where their roster is, given that John Gruden's going to be there forever, um, they probably need, you know, just to find an answer. But now they have two, you know, what, what, what do you always say? Like, you know, having two starting quarterbacks means you have no starting No starting quarterbacks, yeah. Like, that's the kind of situation it is. And for the Chargers, look, Anthony Lynn, you know, it, good for him for getting a win. Like, he, he probably deserves it after this. But they, they did show once again that this is a team that is prone to throwing chances away. And I think that is an unforgivable sin for a head coach to continue to to allow it to happen. And so, to be honest, the Chargers, they have Herbert now. They have, um, like, maybe there's a, an argument for continuity given how good Kyle Herbert is under Lynn. But uh, given everything else, I'm not sure, that even given this win, that I would continue with the current regime. But, uh, no. Good to them that they have uh, an exciting team at least. But uh, please, if you could just stop fucking up, maybe you'd have a chance. No, of course. Philly at Arizona, twenty six to thirty three. Arizona won a very important game for their playoff hopes with the first half offensive duel. Like Kyler Murray, like made mistakes, but also was the kind of excitement that you'd like to see. Four hundred thirty five yards, four touchdowns, an interception, and fourth fumble. DeAndre Hopkins, just like the man's hands are. <laughs> like, that touchdown was like fucking ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, like there was there was there was like three like career highlight catches in this game for him. Like he was just just insane. And he, um, I think Larry Fitz had a pretty nice catch as well for for Kyler as well. Yeah, touchdown. It's just mad. Like and then um, so they were up by sixteen. Four Hertz decided to start coming back. Four hundred yards and three touchdowns brought it all the way to twenty twenty six at the half. Like. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was like, it was the Arizona defense in the second half that really helped, like, six sacks and a safety. They were kicking some ass, but, uh, God, like, so Arizona get the win. They have some impressive play, but also they look shaky. Uh, they look like once teams start to kind of drive at them, they don't know what to do. Philadelphia, you look at this and you got to go, like, oh, why didn't you just move to Hurts a little bit earlier? Like, Wentz was objectively one of the worst quarterbacks this season. And I don't know what's causing that, if it's an injury, if it's psychological, if it's whatever. But you look at this team with, because there's not, it's not like they've like, they've got Hurts in and they've also added a load of players back from injury or anything like this is Hurts with pretty similar setup to what they had beforehand. And the team looks entirely different. And yeah, maybe that's he, the run game as well that he provides a little bit of uh, of option or whatever. But like, yeah, it uh, this Philly team just, just swapped too late, I think, to, to, to Hurts. Yeah, and I think, yeah, the fact that he's doing this with what is a broken offensive line, you know, a lot of these young players, they, they've shown promise over the last year, but they're obviously still only in the nascence of their career, and he's just completely transformed the offense, as you say. And and in this game, they like Hertz and Kyler looked like mirror images. Like, they both played for Oklahoma back in the day. Um, uh, so Kyler, uh, two years ago, Hertz this year, um, and they both did very well. And Hertz has that dual threat, that, as you say, kind of puts defenses back on the defense. Like, I think, you know, there's just a difference there that when he tries to run in the pocket, unlike Wentz, he has the speed and he has the intelligence um, to both either take the chance with his legs if it's there or to throw it away if it's not there. And he just makes sure that the offense doesn't tur- have those sacks, have those turnovers it did. Now, look, when they were behind, like in the second half, um, the arrows on the defense stiffened up, they got those sacks, but a lot of those were at the point at which the Philadelphia game team was trying to, you know, furiously come back at that point and 
And I think, you know, maybe some of the stuff had been figured out. And I think the fact that, you know, that, that Philly have been competitive over the last two weeks, including getting a win um, against the Saints, shows that, you know, yeah, I think, you know, uh, there's no reason to go back to Carson Wentz. He's like a slower, less decisive, more mistake-prone of Jalen Hurts based on where we are right now. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't go back. Hurts, as I, as I talked about last week, is someone who had to earn his way to get to a starting job in Oklahoma to get his big breakout year in his senior year. And I think it shows in terms of the level of professionalism and the level of thought that he puts into his play. Whereas Kyler Murray, look, it probably doesn't do that necessarily. He had the turnovers <laughs> in this game, but he just has that ridiculous upside and talent. Um, he had a few nice rushes in this game, which is something we haven't seen in recent weeks. And yeah, so he, he is more than willing to just throw it up to DeAndre Hopkins and go, hey, you go get the ball. And DeAndre Hopkins in this game was more than willing to uh, to, to acquiesce. Um, he had that touchdown, he touchdown which is ridiculous. Uh, basically a two-handed catch Oh, way over his head that transformed into a one-handed catch where he wanted to prove that he had the ball in possession so he literally just kind of put it in one hand and said look I have it in one hand I had possession the whole way <laughs> yeah. his hands are <laughs> so he you know he is uh, he's ridiculous and he makes that offense tick um, Arizona are a flawed team I'm not sure that they will beat like the solid teams that we see in the NFC play but look, if if Kyler Murray has a game like this, then I would definitely not count them out either. Um, so it's a flawed team being carried by a superstar quarterback again. And if Kyler can keep up the kind of performance he had here and we saw earlier in the season, um, then I definitely wouldn't count them out either. No, of course. Uh, next up, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati, 17-27. to 27. Cincinnati back to that unbeaten form as the... T- oh, wait, hold on. It, Pittsburgh were the team that were undefeated. Jesus. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pittsburgh continue to shit the bed at the end of the season, uh, losing to the Cincinnati Bengals, led by Ryan Finney, who threw for 136 yards and uh, two touchdowns. But that's enough to have them up 17 to nothing at the half. Pittsburgh were sloppy. They had an interception and two forced fumbles. Ben had 170 yards, uh, like just nothing really going for them. Uh, I, I don't, I said it all the way through and I remember getting told I'm being too critical of this Pittsburgh team. I was like, all they're beating is cupcakes and they don't actually look that good in it. And now they are just looking terrible at this stage. This is a terrible Cincinnati team who are missing their starting quarterback. And realistically, Finley's not even a kind of a backup quality one normally. But Pittsburgh are the ones who are making all the mistakes in this game. They're dropping passes. They're forcing, they're dropping fumbles. It's just... Ben doesn't look right. They don't have a running game. Like their wide receivers are. I I, I like the stat that's now doing the round about um, Juju. Did you see it about? It? So he was dancing on the uh, dancing on the Bengals yeah. logo beforehand. He now has more. <laughs> he now has more videos on TikToks than he does receiving yards in any single game this year. <laughs> he has 95, uh, 95 videos on TikTok. He's never broken ninety two yards in a single game this year. Yeah, like, it is like he, not good. This this Pittsburgh team, unless they're just like, maybe they're just trying to throw everyone off now they know they're not going to get the number one seed, but like, they are going to get murdered in the playoffs. Yeah, and they're, they're in the worst form in the NFL besides the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Jets winning this week. So they're a team that's in a full-on death spiral. Now they're guaranteed a playoff spot, so they will be playing in January, but there's nothing here. Nothing here. 
Ben looks shocked. He can't throw the ball downfield, or either he doesn't trust his guys downfield, and he's peppering Deontay Johnson, who literally is a week off dropping the ball like 50 times um, as his number one receiver. Um, and you're kind of going like, look, Deontay Johnson isn't a bad player, but is this really the guy you're going to build your entire offense around? Yeah. He also but, missed a load of open receivers in this game. Like his his field vision seems to be going because there was Claypool was open on a couple of ones that he was throwing at Johnson at that like that two years ago. Ben wouldn't be missing those players. Yeah, and you know he's obviously someone in his early career, or for most of his career, was someone who was more than capable of making those big plays, of manufacturing something from nothing. And now he's unable to manufacture anything from something or, or from any of these players. Because um, in theory, Johnson, Claypool, and Juju should be an exciting triplet of wide receivers, but didn't really have much going on here. And I think, you know, Eric Ebron went out early in this game. So that meant that, you know, one of the few short, like, you know, his tight ends out. So he can't, you don't have the short day field. So maybe that even contributed to him, you know, oh, I can't, I can't just drop it off anymore. It's just kind of like, what the hell? I don't know. It's just, it's just very disturbing how bad this offense has gone. And the defense um, didn't really do much either. They had like two sacks. They uh, didn't have any uh, turnovers. And like, look, that's probably partially because Cincinnati, uh, they had a solid game. They ran the ball way more than they passed. I uh, think they had 41 rushes um, <laughs> in passes. Uh, albeit, of course, in the second half, they were up. They weren't going to, you know, give them back. Um, and Gio Bernard had a pretty solid game, at least in terms of yardage, not great per carry. And yeah, Finley, look, he's not going to be a starting quarterback, but if you have your backup in there and he doesn't throw an interception or fumble the ball, um, that's important. And he did have, you know, a really important 33-yard um, rushing touchdown in the second half which at that point, you know, Steelers had just got there like 10, oh, sorry, in the fourth quarter. Like the Steelers dominated the third quarter. They had 10 points. It was now a 10 to 17 game. Finley gets that important touchdown. And then that kind of, I wouldn't say killed the game, but given how bad the Steelers offense was, that was the important vital moment of the game. So fair play to Ryan Finley for not fucking it up. And fair play to the Bengals for, for taking advantage of a Steelers team that looks absolutely terrible right now. And, you know, they have, it's no effect on their seeding either, so they can basically take the free win and uh, feel better about themselves uh, when Joe Burrow comes back in the offseason. No, of course, Tampa Bay at Atlanta, 31-27. to uh, Atlanta and massive leads, followed by losing to Tom Brady, Nimi, a more iconic duo. Brady, 290 yards and two touchdowns. He has another comeback victory, even though they're 17 points behind. Evans had 110 yards. Brown had nearly 100 and a touchdown. Um, yeah, like... Matt Ryan had a good game here, 356 yards and three touchdowns before wilting under pressure. Uh, the defense just completely shit the bed once again. Prevent defense does nothing but prevent you from winning. Uh, I, I joked at halftime. I was like, oh, like they're kicking some ass. And I went, oh, shit, this is Atlanta up by like 52 plus scores against Tom Brady. Uh, this is not going to end well. And it didn't. Yeah, and it's it's... It's a joke. It's a joke that the Falcons lost this game. And to be honest, by the time the fourth quarter came around, they had already ended up being behind Tampa Bay and ended up, you know, having to try and do a comeback themselves and absolutely be looking terrible once they are behind. They just like, I don't know, Matt Ryan just absolutely panicked at that point. And, and they basically had a, a series of uh, like the series of plays that were just absolutely embarrassing. Um, but look like, you know, Tampa Bay, <laughs> as Sean says, you know, they're the most interesting team in the, in the league because you have no idea what's going to come, you know, week to week, quarter to quarter. And in this in this game, they kind of didn't do much for a half, uh, literally didn't have a point in the first half. And then, um, you know, then they came out in the second half. They score 
you know, three, they scored four touchdowns and they only have uh, one uh, one punt and that was late on when they were ahead again. And yeah, you're kind of going, what what the hell is this team? And of course, you know, the big thing for this is that they don't have Ronald Jones because he's on the COVID list and they relied on the deep ball, which actually worked. So Antonio Brown had a deep touchdown. Um, Mike Evans had several deep throws that went well. And, you know, partially that's because Atlanta are a shit team that shits the bed. But I think, you know, as a Tampa Bay fan, you would probably go, okay, at least we're seeing those elements somewhat work after seeming to go completely off the rails in the middle of the season. Um, so, yeah, Tampa Bay, they have a decent defense, at least sometimes. They have a decent offense, at least sometimes. I wouldn't want to play them in the playoffs just because of how unreliable they are and the, the fact that they could show up and beat the head off you. Um, but, yeah, like they're, they're a team that's, you know, they're playoff bound. They, they will be there in January. But uh, give what you will get week to week, I still have no idea what's going to happen. No, of course, Seattle at Washington, 20-15. to 15. Uh, Seattle ran the ball and had a 20-3 to 3 lead before Haskins decided to come back a bit. 295 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions for him. Um, like, Russell Wilson didn't really do much in this game. 173, a touchdown, an interception. Um, the defense for Seattle was decent, and particularly they shut it off at the end. Four sacks, two interceptions. Um the Washington defense didn't look up to a wild pile in this, which is surprising, really, because that was the element that we thought they might be able to do something with. So, look, 2015 is not a particularly impressive scoreline, but also it was not dissimilar to some of the Chiefs games before. And, like, they were up by a lot, and there wasn't really a major risk of loss incoming. And you felt that the game plan would shift a little bit if that pressure really started to come. Um, yeah. I think this was a kind of game where it was like an old school Pete Carroll type game um, where I think they they thought that the only way the Washington team could win with Wayne Haskins a quarterback is if they let the Washington defense win like they had done against San Francisco in uh, week 14. And I think the entire game plan was built around that. Um, they kind of minimized their shots um, to DK Metcalf and Swain and the other wide receivers um, to a few obvious like uh, play action type environments after getting a good gain on first on first down they ran the ball a lot they had a nice toucher from Carlos Hyde uh, around 50 yards um and 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 Chris Carson was the solid like getting the yard tough yards kind of getting the, the offense moving in so far as it did move and that kind of ran their way to a 20 to 3 lead and you thought okay this is going to be pretty comfortable in the third quarter we'll let this like get to let this tail out um but um Dwayne Haskins he aired the ball out a bit it, it, later on in this game he did throw another pick after throwing a pick early in this game, but he did throw a touchdown as well. And you kind of saw that Seattle defense kind of struggle a bit uh, until the last drive where they got multiple sacks. They nearly had a forced fumble um, and they, they, they kind of showed what they can be when they're aggressive. This Seattle team, when that defense decides to be conservative with Ken Norton, is absolutely as bad as they were earlier in the year. But I think with Jamal Adams in there healthy, with Carlos Dunlap healthy, um, they, they when they get aggressive, they can get sacks. They have been getting sacks all year. Sorry, they've been getting sacks since they got Carlos Dunlap in there. And I think that, that you know, Seattle, please do not try to play conservative with this defense later on. You need to at least keep the risk of the of the blitz in there to not, get, not, not give these type of leads away. But for Seattle, like, look, they should have won this game. They did win this game, but the fact that they let this be, you know, have my heart palpitations increase <laughs> a bit at the end is, is a bit disappointing, to be honest. But uh, look, Washington, without Smith, you were kind of see what they are right now. Um, they need to win their games going forward. If Smith can get back, I give them a chance to the Haskins. It's a lot more sketchy. 
No, of course. Chicago, Minnesota, 33 to 27. Chicago survived the losing a Holmes game as Montgomery goes off 146 yards and two touchdowns. Um, yeah, it's it's been great how like how he's been going off well late because you know their their coach didn't ever seem to know how to use running backs and has now basically gone. Oh, we we give them the ball. That's how we use them. Uh, <laughs> Mitch Trubisky, 200 yards, a touchdown interception was fine outside of that interception. Um, Cook, like basically, this was a very similar game plan on both sides because, like, Vikings had Cook go for 132 and a touchdown, Kirk 270 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Um, but yeah, like it was just it was just holding the ball too long and stupid drops and stuff like that. Like these were these are two teams playing not dissimilar game plans from each other, both with not dissimilar personnel from each other. You know, like. Good, good running backs, uh, one or two good receivers each, like mediocre passing game, okay protection. Um, and, you know, I suppose the, the, the difference is Chicago's defense is a little bit better. But, uh, yeah, like it was it was very much a, you know, wild card fodder fighting wild card fodder to be the fodder in the wild card. Yeah, uh, I think that's pretty much it. Like it's, it's almost like the, the Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other. Like that's basically it. <laughs> And like, look, Montgomery, he's had a really good um, end of this season, um, 150 yards here, nearly two touchdowns. He just he seems to have come on and been the type of player people were hoping would be. And look, Mitch Trubisky, um, I don't know he's a starting level quarterback. No, he's not a starting level quarterback, let's be honest. And his interception at the end, near the end of this game, like basically gave Minnesota hope at a point where they were hoping that they could, you know, choke this game out and let... Um, Chicago have a relative. Didn't, did, didn't he lose a game like a week or two ago in the exact same way? Yeah, they were against the Lions. Win. Yeah, and he fucking just threw an interception with like seventy seconds left or whatever. Like it was. So uh, I think that roller coaster that he could make a super dumb decision at any point is why you don't play people like Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. Yeah. And on the other side, like the Cook is a stud. We know that, but Kirk Cousins, he doesn't have that like necessarily Mitch Trubisky level of do the dumb things. Um, but you know he threw a few balls here that that, that that were dropped like fair enough Irv Smith dropped a touchdown um, that ended up being important later in this game but there was multiple times in this game where he just kind of held on to the ball waiting waiting like Kirk Cousins looks great when the play action is working and he has open receivers and he's very decisive in those situations but in the red zone when he went in, in, in long situations he just holds the ball waits around there was like a moment in this there's been moments in recent weeks where he just kind of looks to kind of like the glitch out where he doesn't know what to do. Like it's like a man, mm. something like that. And there was like, you know, like I think there was a missed throw to Jefferson in this game in the end zone where Jefferson could be heard on camera saying, God damn it. Like <laughs> less uh, safer language, but basically just throw the goddamn ball, Kirk, like just throw me the goddamn ball. Um, so I think there's, you know, some frustration and some people joking. That's a Stefan Diggs situation starting to emerge already. Um, <laughs> but, Kirk Cousins is a very flawed quarterback. He's fine at what he does, but you see that when the chips are down and he has the game on his back, um, too often he just comes up short. And like what's what's funny is like I know the criticism about Trubisky is he don't make stupid decisions, but I was trying to work out in my head because I don't think I think the way these guys play the game are not massively different. I was trying to work out if you were to put Kirk Cousins onto the Bears, how different would the Bears' outlook be? And I don't think it adds a ton to the ceiling. No. Like, I, I think that the, the Viking system is built perfectly for Kirk. I think he would struggle just as much in Chicago because it's just a much more less uh, less obvious philosophy about what they're doing. But I think for like Kirk Cousins, the difference between Kirk Cousins and, and Mitch Diddy's is that Mitch Diddy's makes spectacular fuck ups, whereas Kirk Cousins just has a series of small fuck ups that accumulate into 
uh, situations that just aren't winnable for the team too often. Yeah, like he'll have he'll have you know three incompleted passes to force a punt, whereas Mitch will just be like, oh, I waste time, just throw interception. <laughs> Houston at Indianapolis, twenty to twenty-seven. Uh, another attempt by Watson to single-handedly pull them out of a game, but he couldn't quite manage it. Uh, nearly four hundred yards and two touchdowns, but they came up short in the red zone. Uh, for fumble on the final drive. Uh, Indianapolis rely on Rivers here to what two twenty or so on two touchdowns. Good run game. Uh, they got the the, the young fella Taylor going again. 5.5 yards of carry, 127 yards in the ground. But the defense does enough uh, with five sacks despite all of Watson's attempts to hold them over. Um, bizarrely, this is, I know it's just kind of what he's been doing for the last few games, but it's like, you look at this and then you look at like, you know, your Mitch Trubisky's or you look at all the other kind of potential areas for landing, like your Sam Darnold's and all that kind of stuff. And you can see why actually Houston might be an attractive spot for someone to take the head coaching job. Because yes, you've got no picks and yes, you don't have a ton of like ton of players. But Watson is just that much better than so many other options that like, you know, you'd nearly want to just hitch yourself to that wagon quarterback wise. Yeah, and like look, this is like like the they, they played the Colts two weeks ago and they had a red zone fumble. Uh, yeah. To nerf their comeback, they they then he then throws it to Kiki Kuti, who who's trying to get into to, into the red zone like it's a good good throw, um that nearly goes for a touchdown and then he fumbles the ball and that's the end of the game and you're kind of going like the Sean Watson that man must be desperate to get out of there he signed the contract he's not going anywhere that that's not going to happen but God damn it he is literally carrying that entire team on his back the defense does nothing. The run game does nothing. Like, Dave Johnson was okay in the pass game, but did nothing on the ground. Um, it's just Deshaun Watson handedly, like, carrying the entire fucking enterprise, carrying a shit organization, a shit owner, a shit, like, they won't have a GM or... or, or it's or it's, it's, why, it's why he opened the restaurant, just, man. He just, yeah. he just needs something else to focus on because otherwise he'd go insane. And, like, you know, if he gives a bunch of his teammates COVID, so what? Like, it's not like they'd be getting worse. They fucking bring up in the practice squad. Like, oh, Kiki, you've got COVID? <laughs> At least you caught something, you motherfucker. And he, he looks across the other to the other side. And he's like, there's Philip Rivers in the twilight of his career getting, you know, served a lovely, solid team that just does enough to win games. And Rivers is just kind of into the playoffs, hope, basically at this point, uh, without having to do that much for much. And yeah. he's going, fuck in hell, why can't I have that? Uh, <laughs> Indianapolis, uh, none in the, no, no one on this podcast. Like, I probably have more time for them than, than you or Sean do, but you know they're a solid team. They get the job done. They beat the Texans here. But the fact that they've made these games so close is a bit of a worry. Um, but look, they're going to play every playoff game that they're in, probably pretty close against maybe a team, except maybe against a team like the Chiefs that have that blowout potential. But uh, yeah, they just... Inspire much, but as I say, like John and Taylor is getting going, that is giving them an extra element that they lacked and um, that I think will be important. So, yeah, I wouldn't dismiss them in any game, but I wouldn't necessarily get hyped up for them either. Fair enough. Uh, and now we're going to pass off to you for the dump off for the last couple of games that uh, have a little bit less relevance, yeah, and just some kind of blowouts like uh, Carolina at Green Bay 16 to 24. Like Green Bay actually struggled with Buddy Carolina in this game. Like Rodgers was less than 200 yards, but we did have two touchdowns. Uh, but they leaned on Aaron Jones after going up 21 to 3 at the half, um, especially due to a Teddy force fumble that was very unfortunate in the red zone. 
Um, so, like, the defense in Carolina is actually playing okay, given where they were earlier in the year, although the run defense is still a bit questionable. For, for Green Bay, this always felt like a game that they just were like, we're doing enough, we'll win this game. Let's not, like, risk too much here in terms of injuries or what that. And, yeah, it turned out to be that way, even though um, Carolina just about brought within a one-score game at the end. So, yeah, Green Bay, they continue on. They're in the pole position for the number one seed. New England at Miami, 12-22. Miami pull away late in this game after a very scrappy first half where New England were up by six points to zero. Um, but, you know, they get the job done. New England are now eliminated officially from the playoffs. Um, so rejoice, all you AFC East fans. Uh, pretty good week overall for the AFC East if you're not a New England fan, actually. Um, Miami, in terms of winning this game, they leaned on their... Uh, running back Ahmed 222 yards and touchdown because Tua looked a bit questionable he had a couple of nice rushing touchdowns in, in the red zone but uh, overall still not completely convinced by him but I'm more convinced than by Cam who just doesn't really do much when you go behind when he loses the ability to run the ball and the defense while they started solid just feel like they were ground down by the lack of offensive output putting them out there again and again and again and Ahmed kind of ground them down so fair play to Miami they're still in a good position to get the playoffs and New England are gone. We don't have to talk about them again. Um, San Francisco at Dallas, 33 to 41. Dallas keep their very slim playoff hopes alive in a strange game where like Pollard basically led the Dallas offense after Zeke was ruled out late and Dalton was okay. Um, and to be honest, it was another game, like the Cincinnati game, where they had two early forced fumbles by their opposition that set them up and then they just kind of browned out the rest of the game, uh, albeit um, you know, helped by Mullins continuing to make mistakes. He had two interceptions and a forced fumble. He just made Mullins performing pole procedure better due to an injury. And their Orby injuries continued to pile up. They lost Mostert. Jeff Wilson was hurt for part of this game. I don't know. It's just just that type of year for San Francisco. And the end of this game was just, I don't know what the hell happened there. It's like a uh, an onside kick that was returned by the, like the receiving team for a touchdown. And then a successful Hail Mary by San Francisco. Just that kind of game. Uh, but, you know, Dallas, they're still alive. Cleveland at the Giants. Thank God, Cleveland just do to get the job done uh, on Sunday Night Football after a very weird like first half where like three long drives ended on fourth down um, without success. Um, two by Giants, one by Cleveland. Um, but eventually Baker got going. He had nearly 300. Sorry, he had uh, yeah nearly 300 yards, two touchdowns, and the run game wasn't that effective. So I think this is important that Baker Mayfield carried this team to a certain extent and did enough to make sure that they kind of kept the Giants at bay, uh, especially against what is a pretty solid uh, Giant D, even though they're missing James Bradbury. Look, and on the other side, the Giants were starting Colt McCoy. That's basically all you need to know about what went wrong here. They just couldn't move the ball, and when it came down to the red zone, they just couldn't get the job done. Um, disappointed for the Giants, but they are still technically alive. But uh, if, if Daniel Jones can be healthy, that may make a difference. Detroit at Tennessee, 25-46. to 46. Hey, we're over here this story again. King Henry, 152 yards, touchdown, absolutely beats up on Detroit. And then Corey Davis alongside Ryan Tannehill kind of clean up. Tannehill had five touchdowns, um, so he got all the glory, I suppose, for Henry's hard work. Um, look, Stafford is banged up. He had 250 yards and a touchdown, but you know he was trying his best. But I think the you know disparate the the, the, the level of talent between these is just too large for them to matter. Uh, but a solid game for Marvin Jones and DeAndre Swift. Uh, but that defense just doesn't give them anything at the moment. Um, so Tennessee move on um, and continue to be in control of the AFC South. Uh, Buffalo at Denver on Saturday night, 48-19. Look, Josh Allen celebrated winning the AFC East in style. 392 yards and four touchdowns. 
Diggs and Beasley open at will over 100 yards for both of them. And look, Denver had, a, I think, a special teams fumble from Buffalo, kind of kept them in the game in the first half, technically. Um, but they never got going. Locke was meh. He, he, he wasn't terrible, wasn't great. The run was okay. Um, but really, just those mistakes from Buffalo special teams kept them in. Before in the second half, Buffalo just came out and absolutely hammered them. Um, so yeah, nice, nice game for Allen. Uh, like now they're in the playoffs and they've they've, they've beaten uh, New England. Fair play. And then finally another absolute blow up. Jacksonville at Baltimore, fourteen to forty. Baltimore just like Lamar had his way. Four touchdowns and an interception, nearly three hundred yards. Uh, looked like his twenty nineteen self. And I think the important thing is that they got a bit of their deep game back with both Andrews and uh, Hollywood Brown having pretty good games. Um, Minshew was pummeled five sacks hit a load other times uh he, he got a decent like he had 200 yard touchdown so the final that line looks okay but a lot of that was in, in garbage time and look jacksonville just look a team worthy of the number one overall pick in terms of talent um except for james robinson so just nothing else to write home about um and yeah fair play to yannick Ngakwe gets his revenge game so happy outs for him excellent just a dump off for week 15. excellent sure we'll go and have a look at the picks for next week Okay, so first up, Minnesota, New Orleans. Uh, we got from New Orleans across the board. Like, this just seems to make sense. Breeze was heating up at the back end of the last game. Minnesota are not great. They just lost to the Bears. Uh, New Orleans are at home. Like, yeah, like, this just this just lines up uh, for me as a New Orleans win. Yeah, like, I think we know what Minnesota need to win this game. They need to run Dalvin Cook effectively, set up the play action. But I think New Orleans' defense has shown that it, it is solid. They obviously stifle to, to some extent. Uh, what is the best offense in the league in Kansas City? And I can see them being able to key in and stop Cook enough that Kirk Cousins doesn't get those easy play action um, plays. I wouldn't dismiss Minnesota completely. They do have these up games, and obviously historically they do have a bit of a, a hoodoo over New Orleans, although usually in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I think New Orleans, based on where they are, should continue to be favorites for this game. Yeah. Uh, tell us about Tampa Bay at Detroit. Uh, Detroit. If Matt Stafford's playing, he shouldn't be because he's, you know, his. I think his lungs are probably exploding. Yeah, he's missing um, a couple of ribs at this point. Look, I, I never fully trust Tampa Bay, but I think given the talent disparity and what that defense should be able to do against a uh, hurt Stafford, it's hard not to pick them in this game. Um, but I think for Detroit, I think get DeAndre Swift going. That could make a bit of a difference. But look, Tampa Bay. The, they, the, the, the offense, I don't know what they're going to do, but against Detroit, they have a chance to have a get-right game, just be dominant in all facets in run game, in, in pass game, and show us that they have something here. Because if they have another kind of up-and-down game, I'm going to continue to be a bit questionable on that team overall. But look, Tampa Bay are the better team, so you have to pick them here. Uh, San Fran and Arizona, we've all gone for Arizona. Um, yeah, look, San Fran are missing almost all of their starting players at this point. They have Josh Rosen signed off a practice squad of another team to back up CJ Bethard. Uh, they're down two more running backs, I think. Like, it's it's hard to see. And look, Arizona, they're playing for their playoff hopes. They've been playing very well of late. They're at home. Uh, this is an in-division game, and I do think San Fran are normally very well coached. But, like, Arizona need this win much more so. And San Francisco, like, they're already shutting it down for the year. The only only question, like you said, is if they bring in, uh, bring back um, Jimmy GQ to try and like showcase him for a potential trade or something. Yeah, it's not going to happen, but a Josh Rosen revenge game would be pretty hilarious. <laughs> that would actually, yeah, to be and, honest. And like, I'm not going to dismiss San Francisco ever because they, they have Kyle Shanahan. But yeah, I think given yet more injuries, given everything we know, that Arizona 
um, are seem to be getting back into their mid-season form, getting some of that uh, spark back with Kyler Murray. If they can show what they did against Philly, that should be enough to get this job done. Miami at Vegas. We've gone from Miami across the board. Vegas are in a tailspin at the moment. They'll probably be... Well, there's a 50% chance they'll be playing the backup quarterback. Miami... They've had a couple of nice wins. They've had a couple of knockbacks. But if they want to be that wild card contender, they need to be able to beat the likes of the Raiders and need to show it here on the road. Uh, Tua needs to have a better game than he did last week. Yeah, and like the the problem for the Miami Dolphins is that they they just there's never there has just been so few games where they've looked convincing, but they have been grinding at the wins. I think Brian Flores gets so much out of that defense, that that young defense, in terms of making hell for the uh, opposing offenses. And then the offense is yeah, I'm not. I'm still not entirely pushing this offense. I still think it'd be better with Fitzpatrick at the helm. Yeah. Explosive element. They could run up like scores that could make these games go away faster. But the Vegas Raiders right now are just so bad, making so many fuck ups. I wouldn't dismiss it completely, obviously, because I think, you know, Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller are in good form. They can put up yards. But, you know, if it comes down to, if it's a close game late on, which uh, is, uh, may or may not happen, uh, I don't trust Vegas not to fuck it up. So we'll give it to Miami here. Yeah, Atlanta KC, we've gone for KC across the board. Uh the only the only thing is whether or not like Kansas already start to start to rest some players and stuff. Uh Atlanta have been playing better of late, but there's nothing much there for it. They're playing for nothing. Kansas City are kind of already semi locked in. And if they win this, they're definitely locked in and could even rest players for two weeks. So I think yeah, Kansas across the board. Giants of Baltimore. Um we've all gone for Baltimore in this one. Like a similar analysis of that uh, for me as with the Miami one, like, you know, you're you're fighting for that wild card. You should be able to beat the Giants, but also Baltimore are in just such a killer run of form the last two or three weeks. It's like, you know, even if the Giants play their absolute best game, I don't think they're beating Baltimore at home. Yeah, like whether it's Colt McCoy or Daniel Jones, unless Daniel Jones is fully healthy, which doesn't seem likely, then it's just really hard to pick against Baltimore here. I think the Giants, even at their best this year, would have been mostly a match for Baltimore and given what Baltimore are doing on the offense they're getting, they've reverted to their 2019 playbook. Um, even if they get James Bradbury back, I just don't see the Giants being necessarily be able to shut that down. Uh, like, you know, the Giants defense has had some really good games this year and the Baltimore offense has had some sinkers earlier this year. So, you know, maybe you could have that, you know, you know, if those two interact, then the Giants might have a shot, but it's just, yeah, with Colt McCoy or, or Hurt Daniel Jones. Uh, it's just hard to see them going against Lamar Jackson getting a win. Yeah, Cleveland at the Jets. We're going for Cleveland across the board. The Jets won last week, but that was a surprise, and we think was probably also a factor of the Rams being that kind of occasionally turn up with just not turning up. Cleveland are looking hot. They're trying to keep themselves live for the AFC North game uh, in Week 17. They should stop the Jets in their current form. They've got the run game to do it. And, yeah, like... Yeah, I can't. I can't see any way that it's not Cleveland. Yeah, this will probably be Sean's pick of the week uh, if he was here uh, because it's his kind of game. But like, look, you know, Cleveland. You know what they did against the Giants. They need to do here. Just don't do dumb things. You know, don't give the ball away. Don't be like the Rams. Basically, if they can play the solid ball that they've been doing, either to get the run game going with Chubb and Hunt, and they just dominate that way, or if that's slowed down a bit, just Baker taking. There being efficient and effective, then they will easily win this game. 
um, and I expect him to do that. Um, so just don't make mistakes, and you can beat the Jets. And for the Jets, it's pretty much the same thing. If they don't make mistakes, they have a chance. Um, if they go behind early, I expect that they'll probably have some of the old Darnold situation. But I think for the Jets, it's about you know getting some pride and not getting blown <coughs> out after. Finally, uh, having people have a modicum of respect for you after that win this week. No, of course, uh, Chicago versus Jacksonville going home for Chicago. Yeah, look, I expect them to run David Montgomery right down their throat, and that and the Jacksonville run defense has been bad all year. Um, I think that should be more than enough to beat this Jacksonville team, as long as Mitch Titties doesn't throw like four t- four interceptions, which is always possible. I was I was literally just thinking about that as we were getting to this game. I was like, Do you know what, like. Statistically unlikely that a one in a one in fifteen team don't get the number one all pick. Jacksonville probably do another win, and like if someone's going to give it to them, it'll be fucking Mitch Diddy's. Like, like it would be very fitting on a number of ways. <laughs> like Chicago's hopes of the playoffs end in a loss to Jacksonville at the hands of like poor QB play. And um, certainly we wouldn't cry. I don't think any of us. Really I don't think we would at all no, in no. the playoffs. But yeah, like Chicago on form should win this game. Yeah, uh, next is my pick of the week, Indy at Pittsburgh. Uh, me and you have gone for Indianapolis. Sean's gone for Pittsburgh. I was tempted to because I don't like Indy, but Pittsburgh are in such a tailspin, I can't really not pick it. The thing is that you'd kind of look at that team and you say, look, there is skill on the roster. There are good players, and they've had a couple of really crappy weeks. At, like, I can only imagine what Mike Tomlin is saying to them in their Zoom meetings and in person. Uh, Indianapolis have had good performances across both, like, defensively they've been playing well, and we'll talk in our future Pro Bowl, uh, one about the snubs that one or two of the players have gotten there. Uh, but like they're getting they're getting decent performances out of Rivers. They're getting good good performances out of Taylor, the young running back. That T.Y. Hilton's just had a resurgence the last three or four weeks. And this Pittsburgh secondary has not been playing very well. That said, they have the skill position players in that secondary to pick apart Philip Rivers and his wonky late game passes. So I, I, this is not a done deal in any way, and it's at Pittsburgh. So like I would expect this to be a good game, but also a game that if one of these teams doesn't turn up to play, it could get one-sided real quick. Yeah, this is the kind of game where you, you could easily see both quarterbacks look very, very old very, very quickly, given what these respective defenses... They, um, they, they, they uh, joined the league the same year, didn't they? Uh, yes, I believe that was yeah. the Eli Manning year as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah so like, this, is a, this is a game that I think the defenses will be really important if the defenses can cause either of these two guys to get off their spot and panic. They have been making mistakes. Um, Rivers less so recently, but he was early on in the year. Um, and that's probably the route to Pittsburgh winning this game because the offense just isn't doing much right now. But yeah, you, you kind of, as you say, you kind of have a feeling that Pittsburgh, they're at home. You know, they've been fucking up. You know, someone's going to eat the fucking shit out of them. Um, phrasing. Um, but... <laughs> Um, it's not not OBJ at the brand uh, (laughs) and that they could you know that they could turn it around and put on a Steelers like type performance where they absolutely come out and kill and the offense like finds some level of form and then they dominate this game but based on what they've done over the last few weeks you can't predict that and I'm willing to give Indianapolis enough trust that they'll bring out their usual solid package and be able to get it done uh, against the Pittsburgh team that's just not getting out of its own way at the moment. No, of course. Since he had Houston, we've all gone for Houston. Look, uh, Cincinnati got a good win last week. Well, 
like Deshaun Watson will eventually just single-handedly carry this team to a win. I think this will be the game for it. Cincinnati are on the road. They'll be buoyed after the last victory, but there's not much in this for them. Now, it's not much for either side. This is the definition of a dead rubber game. Like, yeah, just avoid it, but I imagine Houston have the skill just to push it over the edge. Philly at Dallas, uh, an NFC East tilt that might be relevant. Uh, Loser goes home. Unless Washington win, in which case they're both going home. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so i go for Dallas. Sean's gone for Dallas. You've gone for Philly. Um, yeah, like, overall, Dallas are doing an okay job. They're getting performances. They've got an overall better skilled roster, although Philly have looked much better with Wentz under center. But he is making, he still does make a couple of those rookie mistakes. Like, Dalton makes mistakes. They're just not rookie mistakes. They're just mediocre, middle-aged quarterback mistakes. <laughs> um, they're a whole different class of mistake. So, I'll, I'll go for Dallas because they're at home. It's an in-division game. Um, and I like what their defense have been doing a little bit of late, more so than like Philly have been a bit resurgent, but still don't look like a complete team. Yeah, like I'm, I'm kind of why I'm picking Philly is I, I just really like Jalen Hurts, what he's brought to the offense. He, he, did get, he did take the safety and a couple of unnecessary sacks against Arizona, but compared to what Wentz was doing, um, the level of mistakes has gone way, way down. And he just has that level of composure around his play most of the time. But I don't necessarily expect that this Dallas defense, which has been very up and down, to be able to create some huge mistakes from him. Um, I also think that Dallas have been flattered somewhat by the wins that they've had recently. As I said, they've had multiple games in recent weeks um, where they've been spotted multiple forced fumbles, um, which to be fair, the defense have to get in the first place, but where they've kind of gotten early lead, they've kind of been able to coast a bit. And I do think that Dalton is worse than below average. I think he's been actually pretty bad overall and that if he is put into a situation where really are putting up points and he has to keep up he will be exposed ruthlessly as he has been uh, in many of the earlier starts that he had this season so i think philly they're rounding into form they're doing some you know solid things now that the, now that they don't have carson wentz pulling them down and i expect that actually they might have might win this game easily in my opinion but, interesting uh, uh that's just my opinion man yeah uh, for, I, I, I didn't think you cared so much about the NFC <laughs> um, AFC West matchup Denver at the LA Chargers uh, Chargers coming off you know some decent performances of late the surprise win even though they tried not to win Denver yeah uh, <laughs> yeah but, I picked Den, I picked Denver here because they're not the Chargers and therefore can win games uh, even though I don't check yeah it's an, but it's an AFC West in division thing it'll it'll be mental all over the shot like the Chargers are the more talented team at the moment uh, yeah but they're not if the Chargers win it'll probably be a fun game ish whereas yeah. if Denver win it'll have been an absolute grind fest probably. yeah like uh, I, I, I would advise all of our listeners to not watch this game no. <laughs> like that's, that's, that is my 100% just don't watch that game um, yep. moving on Ronan your pick of the week Rams at Seattle this should be a fun one Yep, so Seattle has been picked by myself and you, Connor, and Sean has plumped for the Rams in absentia. Um, so yeah, this is basically the battle for the NFC West. Um, for Seattle, the battle to maybe have like a 1% shot to have the, the number one seed. Um, but yeah, I think for Seattle, you know, there's been multiple years now where they failed to win the division and they've had these games laid on against their divisional rival uh, that year and that they've come up short. Like last year literally came up you know, a yard or two short against San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So I think at home, um, they've been pretty good at home. The, the last month has been difficult. They've kind of had to revert to, I would say, old school Pete ball, run the ball, rely on the defense, don't let Russ cook because he throws the ball to the other team too much. And I expect 
that they will try to pull that out in this game as well. The problem is that the Rams' run defense is very solid, um, so that will be obviously very difficult for them to do, and that Russ will be put into these third and longs there. Aaron Donald has eaten him alive. Um, so it's a bit of a concern that, that this Rams defense could dominate this game and, and basically win it for the Rams. Uh, but on the other hand, you obviously have Jared Goff, who has been... Uh, week to week, you literally have no idea what he's going to bring. And in the Seattle defense, which um, has been very aggressive over the last, you know, since the, the Carlos Dunlap has become in in particular, and has had massive improvements, albeit against a much weaker roster of teams. So I think it's a really big challenge for Seattle defense against Jared Goff. Can you, you know, unsettle him? Can you make him make mistakes? Because against, if you could do that against Goff, we know that he will throw those picks, he will make those fumbles, he will take those sacks, and that they can get maybe can grind out a lead and do what they did to Washington and just do enough to win this game. So, if this game had been like you know, uh, you know, two months ago, we would expect this to be probably a pretty uh, offensive oriented game. But given where these two teams are, I expect both of them to try and not lose the game first, try and eke out a bit of a lead and then defend it. Um, but if it turns into a bit of a race that I still trust Russell Wilson that little bit more than Jared Goff. Uh, but given what Sean McVay has been able to do against Seattle, I'm very concerned um, for this. So I'm going to pick Seattle. I'm, I'm going to do the double risk of being hurt by losing and losing a pick against, well, Sean. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a, it's very hard to call this right now. Both teams are just so inconsistent over the last month. Yeah, next up, Carolina at Washington. We got for Washington across the board. Uh, Washington need it. They could lock it up with this. Uh, Carolina have been not in great form of late. Um, yeah, like, again, I don't. I can't imagine this will be a very enjoyable they, game to watch. I think there'll be some nice they, defensive bits and pieces in yeah. it, but it's going to be... Uh, like, I think I think Washington are dependent heavily on, like, does Antonio Gibson get back on the field this week? Yeah. Uh, they were hoping yeah. that he does. And uh, do we have any update on the Alex Smith injury, or are we still looking at Dwayne Haskins? It's not looking great right now, but it hasn't been uh, put away either. And obviously, Carolina might bring back CMC for some reason. And if they do, then I give them a lot more shot to, to surprise Washington here. But yeah, if Washington don't have Alex Smith, don't have Antonio Gibson, Carolina definitely have a good shot in this game. And if Carolina bring in CMC as well as that... I yeah. might actually flip my, my pick. Yeah, I'm, I'm all of with those. you. If, we're, if, we're, if, if that's <laughs> the case, I think I might have to come back and revisit this. But um, but uh, all those are up in the air right now. But for Washington, they have to win this game to stay in control of that division uh, and stay relevant. Because if they can get those guys healthy, Smith and Gibson, for the playoffs, I wouldn't dismiss them completely. But uh, yeah, right yeah. now, seem like a team that, that is literally trying to limp its way into the playoffs. No, of course. Uh, Tennessee at Green Bay. We've all gone for Green Bay in this one. Um, interesting little fact for you, and I've been trying to work this out. Um, I kind of like Green Bay because I think they're really good. I like what Rodgers was doing. I think their offense has been clicking real well. I think their defense is real suspect, though. And then I was reading online, I saw this, this little stat came up yesterday. The three 10-1 Bengals have more wins against teams with winning records than the Packers do. The Packers have only beaten one team with a winning record. Mm. You think a bit of a Minnesota disease, and I've like, got, I'm, I'm more thinking like literally Green Bay last year, where like they got up to the top. It felt more good this year because they were beating teams. But like when I actually went back through their their schedule, it hasn't been a ton of like super tough matchups that they've won. Yeah, I um, think we we have more trust in them, but like Tennessee do have the formula that has really 
you know, befuddled the Green Bay uh, team in recent years, which is they can run the ball hard. King Henry is going to eat against a run defense, which has been very questionable. So if Tennessee can get King, like get Derrick Henry, yeah. run all over them, set up the play action. AJ Brown is hurt right now, but he still seems to pick up a touchdown every game. Corey Davis has had a breakout year. He, uh, you know, a comeback kind of year for him. So I think that that has added, like, you know, they have two wide receivers they can trust. John Smith has been solid at tight end, and their other tight ends have kind of always seen to a touchdown or two as well. So yeah, like I think Tennessee definitely have a shot in this game. I think Tennessee. If you pick them, I wouldn't have any problem with that, to be honest. But I think they have the formula, they have the solid game plan that Green Bay have struggled against. So I think that's why I think this game is really important. Green Bay have shown, I think, a level of increased comfort from Aaron Rodgers. They've shown some games where you kind of go, this is almost like Aaron Rodgers at its peak around 2010, 2011. Yeah. And that they could literally beat any team in the league. And especially because that Tennessee defense isn't exactly much to write about. But... Um, uh, this is the challenge for them. I think if uh, that's the one element that I think gives me uh, hope that, or gives me the idea that Green Bay will win is that, that that run game dominance that's beat them in the past was usually paired with at least a solid defense, if not a great defense. Mm-hmm. And that's what we don't have. So I expect that even if Green Bay are put in a hole by Henry, that that Tennessee defense won't be able to hold out against Devontae Adams uh, and MVS, etc. Yeah, we could, we could end up with a sneaky high scoring game here. Yeah, oh definitely. This is this is this this could be a really fun, exciting game, high scoring. Um, but uh even if Tennessee run the ball a lot, that they, they can get involved in these games, they tend to do that this year. Um and yeah, so I'm gonna favor Green Bay because they're in Lambo and, and uh, you know, this is an important game and they have Aaron Rodgers, but yeah, this should be a fun game, could be uh uh could be easily the game of the week in terms of uh, a neutral perspective. Yeah, and then to the, the, the clear best game of the week, Buffalo at New England. Jesus. Uh Buffalo across the board hey buffalo style on them beat them hammer them you know you just you've got the afc's confirmed now it's time for you to teabag new england for 16 minutes end to end on defense on offense absolutely show bill belichick who is the boss of the afc east now do it in style let josh allen sling the ball sling the rock beat them down show them what you've got yeah, like <laughs> such an awful setup. It's not going to be a good game. Like I could, I could genuinely imagine Bill Belichick just like running like four tight end sets for the entire game to throw off the metrics for everyone for next year when they try and analyze tape. Like, just ugh. I, I, I want no Buffalo, Buffalo blowout. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, Buffalo blowout, please. Um, yeah, no, that's good. Uh, uh, just just for our listeners, at the moment there is a one game difference in me and Fitz in the uh, in the picks so far this year. Uh, Sean is a bit behind, but he kind of missed the first couple of weeks of the yeah, season. Yeah, I, I will do the calculation uh, that is directly comparable for Sean at the end of the year. Yeah, no, it'll be good. But uh, no, apart from that, any plans for the next few days? Obviously, it's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. Thank God it's them instead of you, etc. Uh, <laughs> well. Uh, yeah, uh, obviously uh, I'm staying uh, safe. Uh, I haven't really gone out since I came back to Calvin. I'm wearing a mask uh, for a couple more days um, just to have a full week where I was wearing a mask in the house just in case. Um, yeah. I picked up on public transport after self-isolating for seven days before I took public transport. Um, all, all my family is kind of looking at me asking because, you know, what do you, come on, take the mask. Well, not take the mask off. It's just like, it's really like why are you being so overcautious? Stop being overcautious. <laughs> I was like, look, I just don't want to don't deal with that shit if, the, if it actually did happen. Um, but yeah, no, Christmas, it should be pretty quiet. Um, just enjoy the presents, enjoy the Ferrero Rocher, enjoy whatever, the big meal. 
and uh, yeah, just uh, having some quiet days off, basically. Um, in terms of COVID, I think uh, literally a, a cabinet, a government minister just caught COVID uh, in Ireland. So uh, that's how it's going over here. We 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 held it off for the longest point, but now that it's got going, we're doing just as bad as everyone else. So uh, yeah, well done, uh, all of us here. Yeah, very fun, very fun indeed. Uh, it's all because of this stupid, uh, super super infectious strain that they grew over in London, probably at their yeah. house parties and their whatnots. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'm similar. I'm going in to get the last few bits and pieces in the shop uh, today after this. And then uh, just going to settle up here for most of the next week and then uh, and then not be traveling again until far side of Christmas. Just relax and enjoy. Should be uh, should be nice. We'll need to work out what we're going to do for uh, recording our in between this and New Year's one. But uh, I'm sure I'm sure we'll be able to work out some days around it. It'll be all right. Um, but yeah, no, should be should be good fun. Merry Christmas, Fitz. Merry Christmas to you. And Merry <laughs> Christmas to all of our listeners as yeah, well. Merry Christmas to the listeners. So I suppose as always, uh, it's Merry Christmas from me. Merry Christmas from Fitz. Merry Xmas. Have a fun Christmas slash whatever you're doing yourself. And we will chat to you before New Year's. This has been all four quarters. Thank you for listening. Bye.